0: It's Monday morning and I'm Jack Lucas. Uh, hi, Hello. uh this is about my husband. Yes. Um, well, he drives me crazy. I'll be talking and he'll never let me finish a sentence. Mm. He's always finishing He's always finishing my... your thoughts. That's awful. <laughs> okay, right. Off now,
1: Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is, wait, you haven't seen? It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 222. The movie this week is 1991's The Fisher King, starring Robin Williams and Jeff uh, Bridges. And here to talk with me about it, because you've never seen it before, It's Adam Mock. Adam, how you doing? Yeah, pretty good. How you doing? Not too bad. All right, so... We'll just jump right this into a movie. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> what, what if any history did you have with the Fisher King?
0: It's funny when I was a kid living in Queens, I mean this movie, I remember dribs and drabs. Basically okay. what happened was I had a buddy who had a, um, a hot box from, from the uh, cable company. Sure. So he recorded everything. Mm-hmm. And he, my friend, John adored this movie. He sang the song all the time. He acted <laughs> like just a crazy person. And I remember seeing just bits and pieces at his house. But we never just watched the movie. He would just put on scenes. Oh, okay. Because we were probably about, we were, we were, we were I think we were 12 at the time. So, right. like, he was just like, oh, this is hysterical. I don't think he actually understood what the movie was about. I'm he just sure. loved seeing Robin Williams be a complete lunatic. But this movie is just something to behold. I mean, I I knew what it was about. I didn't know how reflective it, it would be in this day and age and how it actually I think is more important now than it was then.
1: Oh, big time. In it just, is, it in, is a in movie in terms well. of
0: so many social contexts, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it really was excellent. I'm I'm kind of glad we came across this one.
1: So I I adore um as a filmmaker Terry Gilliam. Um some yes, of his yes. some of you know as he's gotten older he's gotten more curmudgeonly and he's said a few things it's like uh, Terry Terry it's, it, you really <laughs> just keep that to yourself. But as it's a filmmaker Yeah, <laughs> dial it back a little. But as a filmmaker he fascinates me because yeah. Terry Gilliam is in for me that that same realm as a David Lynch. Um, where he is going to be unapologetic in what he makes, and he's going to make the movie that, even if it's not the original vision that he had because he's fought tooth and nail with the studio and ends up just putting out something, he is going to put out a movie that is going to make you... By the end of the movie, you're going to just be like, What? But in kind of the best way possible. Um, My dad and I used to joke that uh, um, watching a Terry Gilliam movie, you almost had to watch it twice just to figure out what was going on um yeah uh...
0: that's it's it they're so it they're almost like heartfelt cartoons Mm -hmm. in a way i mean it it's funny i'm this is this doesn't feel like a true terry gilliam film to me and there was something about it that made me think that and then i looked it up and he has three rules of filmmaking he said (laughs) yes never work in the states never work off of somebody else's screenplay, and don't work with the studios. And he broke all three rules to make this film. And when you see that Red Knight and just that Jeff Bridges performance and the Robin Williams, I mean, every bit of it, it's so heartbreaking, but it's so cartoonish and lighthearted. You don't ever really know how how you're feeling during this. You know, like and, you're broken yeah. up and elated at the same time.
1: And that's it's a thing. amazing. It's an yeah, amazing it's, film. It's a thing that Gilliam is really good at doing, which is like creating emotional responses. However, you're not quite sure what emotion you're supposed to respond with because he'll have, yeah. he'll have a moment that is funny, but the way it's shot is disorienting and the visual is bordering on the grotesque. And you just Mm -hmm. you don't know how you feel about it, and it's very odd. And it puts you. And he he loves to, um, you know, he loves his Dutch angles and he loves his wide angle lenses up close and give you that just right in someone's face, and you feel so weird. He did it a ton in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. He did it all over the place in Brazil, um, and he did it a lot early in this, especially. I noticed Um, Uh, that
0: opening shot of just. when he's in the DJ studio and Jeff Mm -hmm. Bridges is doing his show and he's doing his usual Jeff Bridges, you know, and, but the shadows look like Mm. he's in a cage. Oh yeah. It's so Hitchcock. It's so like shadow of a doubt when she's looking at her uncle from the, from the uh, stair steps and he looks like the criminal, you know, it's, and he's, this is before he gets his, you know, and even when he goes back, Before he like after he thinks he fixes everything, when he's back in the studio, it looks like a cage again. Yeah. It's brilliant, brilliant like craftsmanship on Terry Gilliam's part.
1: There there's something to Gilliam's vision and then when he works with his production designers to make mundane places look just otherworldly. A recording studio, hospitals. Like the hospital in this movie.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, and he did the same thing in Twelve Monkeys with the hospital there, and like it just it looks like it looks like everyone's fear of what a hospital would be, uh, like all the but worst everyone parts there,
0: of it. But it's almost like everyone there is just this is a normal day for them. Mm-hmm,
1: absolutely, it's so
0: cre- They they've grown to live within it, and it's mm-hmm. so creepy. You yeah. know, I, I started watching Part of Brazil the other day. And I got a lot of that. I I had to turn it off because I was in the middle of something. I just put it on. Sure. And I was about to start watching it. And it it, it gave me that same feeling when I was watching that, the scene where he's catatonic. I mean, Mm -hmm. he really does do just the human mind or at least the crazier parts of it. And that's working with Monty Python. too. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, You know, I mean, the guy just has, he's got a brain that, I don't. I don't even know if I want to spend a day up there.
1: <laughs> I mean, he see you. You can tell, like he just sees the world so different from everyone else, and he somehow yes. manages to translate that to film in a way that, for me, is just fascinating. I can't get enough of Terry Gilliam stuff. Even like the Brothers Grimm is probably to date my least favorite of his movies. I still enjoy the I hell forgot out of he it.
0: Did that? I forgot he made that i looked up his his filmography today when yeah. i saw that i went oh shit i literally had <laughs> it when it was oh my god that was him like because yeah. i remember seeing that and forgetting it by the time credits rolled because yeah. it just didn't it was too studio it just didn't it, it didn't have his his trademarks on it it, it didn't have enough of them
1: shoot it. yeah it didn't have enough yeah. it, it felt like the least terry gilliam terry gilliam film i'd seen like you'd get a little you'd push in one direction. Like Peter Stonemaier's performance in Brothers Grimm is, (laughs) is something out of just like, it is out of the Terry Gilliam playbook, but then nothing like the rest of it just kind of falls short of that. And that's what makes, I think this one now this is after he had done Brazil and Baron Munchausen. So, he's dealt with studios and interference and all that kind of stuff. And here he is breaking his three rules to come back to make this movie. But he managed to get a cast that just, I mean, it's amazing to have such good performances across the board. And then a movie that becomes kind of more than the sum of those parts. And those parts are so good. I mean, Jeff Bridges, Robin Williams, your two leads are Captivating. They're, and, and look, I love both of them. Yeah. I've yet to really see even a bad Robin Williams movie I'm going to be entertained by because he was just yeah. such a treasure.
0: He brought such a joy to this movie mm-hmm. for a guy who's so broken. Those moments where yes. he would just, hey, Jack. And you got that Robin Williams scream. Yes. It was just. And, and you know this guy is is dead on the inside at that moment but he's so broken he doesn't know it and it's almost it's so weird how it reflects onto Jeff bridges and, and Jeff bridges is trying to forgive himself you know it it's so amazing and then you throw in Mercedes rule who's Who? this kind of she she's that um what is it uh uh Florence nightingale syndrome where that like she just yeah she's taking care of this broken dude who throws her away at the end and then comes back to her and he and but she just knows that's who he is mm-hmm. and it, it, she was i mean she got the academy award for this i mean the, the woman she her and michael jeter were such great co-stars in this film, Michael Jeter. Like he's another one that you forget because, like, the movie's two hours seventeen minutes doesn't mm-hmm. feel over an hour and forty-five. No, this it's movie paced flies really well. by at a clip. I didn't know by the end of it, I was like, that was over two hours. I literally looked at my clock and was <laughs> shocked by that. But and- Michael Jeter doing that bit of his was absolutely like. At, Just and at the end, oh my god, I love the guy. I miss Mr. Noodle so much.
1: I do too. Like, I had you know, I had a little running commentary of notes, and I had a note that was just Michael Jeter with an exclamation point. So, I completely forgotten he was in this movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it, and so long enough that just parts of it kind of left my memory. So, it's like, okay, seeing Michael Jeter, and then. Uh, my next note with him was Michael Jeter was a treasure and boy has a set of pipes on him. Cause he is belting. He is singing that my show.
0: Girlfriend, my girlfriend walked in when he's on the table screaming <laughs> and he goes, who? she goes, who's that, Adam, who's that guy? Who's that girl singing? And I go, that's <laughs> Michael Jeter. She goes, who? And I go, come here. And she knew who he was. She didn't know the name. And she goes, that's him singing. And she goes, <laughs> She just like sat down and started watching it with me. Had no idea what she was watching.
1: Michael Jeter is an actor that sadly we lost too young. Um, Yes. And, uh, but he is sort of, for me, he fits into, uh, I don't want to say the same type of role that like a Steve Buscemi does, but he's that type of actor where you cast him because he has a very unique look. And a very yes. unique sound. Ooh. And you always get more than you expect to get out of him. Like anything he does, he just puts himself into and he brings he brings up whatever it is, whether it's in a comedic way, whether it's in a dramatic way. I remember him in The Green Mile. And oh God, like it's just heartbreaking punch. in The Green Mile. And it doesn't
0: wet the sponge, and you're yeah. just sitting there going. He's got the little mouse and you're just, this is, I was, he honestly, as much as Michael Clark Duncan, RIP, that guy was amazing. I, Michael Jeter broke my heart more than he did.
1: Oh, honestly, absolutely.
0: In that movie, because he's just so weak. He always plays these weak, adorably, just want everybody to love them characters. Yep. And in this, it shows through perfectly. I mean, especially when at that last scene where he's walking in with David I. Pierce. Yeah. And he's just like, don't you remember me, Jack? He's like, I helped you and you're you're throwing me away. And oh my God, that man.
1: And like the movie, that scene didn't need to be there for the movie to exist. But putting that there, like putting that there just hammers home what's going on with with the character of jack and it adds just that it's, it's like a little extra seasoning in the movie you know in the cake and yeah it's it's so good and he just sells it because who knows how long we don't really have a sense of how much time has passed throughout the movie it
0: i noticed that um today when i was kind of rewatching a little bit and i was like how long is this supposed to have gone on yeah we don't know if it's I, I, I was has been days a couple
1: months we don't know how especially long especially when
0: when he goes into the coma yeah when he goes when he when he relapses you're completely lost as of the time frame of the film because he got his job back quick he did. that is not a job you just get new york radio you don't just like start doing that again, <laughs> you know, right. They got to schedule that stuff.
1: So, so, but adding that scene it, in, it and... is funny. Cause like, Oh, go ahead. You
0: know? No, no. I was like, I was laughing. Cause I remember this was like the peep Stern years mm-hmm. and they wanted Stern's notes and his tapes and he wouldn't give them unless and he want. they were like, well, you could be the, you know, you can just be the supervisor and tell us how all the, the boards work and everything. And he was just such a pain in the butt. They were just like, whatever, we're not we're not gonna work with Stern. And it's just like, but he nailed Jeff Bridges nails that Howard Stern role. Like he's almost never sitting in that chair. He's up and around, smoking cigarettes, working the board, and it's just in this dark, horrible room.
1: Tiny little room that he's in. When you
0: find and they're never like that. I mean mm. I, that that was the highest ceiling ever. That was the most vaulted of ceilings. Yeah. People. But when when you get to that that scene where you find out like what he just said, and you realize he's not listening to his listeners. Nope. He's just listening for things to use against him, and he causes a mass shooting. Yeah. And that was one of the things where I sat there and I went, "This is relevant." Like this, you watch this with with this year's eyes alone and your your jaw drops oh yeah way more than it did in 91
1: a lot you know so let's talk about this opening
0: final shot
1: yeah because this opening like go for it because we start the movie off with him on the radio i played a little clip of it at the beginning of the show where he the the lady that calls in and like
0: playing snap yeah i love that song
1: man (laughs) that took me back um i know right
0: they only have two songs in this movie they're both bangers
1: (laughs) and then you know so he's talking over the woman you're right he doesn't listen to the callers he just waits to find the thing he can use to turn against him and we get him with the call from like a regular it was edwin or something like that and um he does his normal thing but it's that one too many it's that one time where it it went across it went over the line and the person on the other end didn't couldn't handle what was going on anymore. They, this is a person yeah. who, you know, they're they're reaching out for some help, thinking they're gonna get some. Yeah. Jack doesn't care about him at all. Jack's too wrapped up in this uh sitcom that he's gonna be reading for or being on or whatever.
0: Oh, that's right. I forgot about the sitcom where he's in the bathtub.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> So he does his thing, tells the guy, whatever he tells to him, he leaves, gets in the, the limo with David Hyde Pierce, which I, I also forgot he was in the movie completely. That's that, like, that
0: was amazing. I was like, hey, Fraser. And, and I mean, it
1: is it's how many years before Frasier began. I don't think Frasier started for another like, two I years or like something. Three.
0: I think it was like 94.
1: And Gilliam was always good at getting a lot of names in his movies for these smaller roles like if uh, if you think back to brazil he had like jim a young jim broadbent in there for like two scenes and you know the career he went on to have and just kind of stuff like that you would always see that happen for some reason terry gilliam just managed to do that and he does it here here it is with a young david hyde pierce and um so he's he's uh jack is like all set up to do his this um sitcom and he goes home and he's got his you know high-rise apartment with his girlfriend and she's drawing and complaining about something but he's not really he doesn't care because he only really cares about himself he's so self-absorbed yeah. and i love the scene where he's really and his girlfriend the bathtub
0: and his girlfriend is just as self-absorbed yeah
1: oh yeah she's just
0: talking about her artwork while she's working on it like not even i don't even think she looks at him
1: no i i don't think at she does one,
0: she does not look at him it's amazing
1: they're they're a match they're a perfect so match the two of them and yeah, so he's, he's in the bathtub and he's reading his lines and we get the shot from outside. I love that shot outside the building looking in as he's got his bathrobe on and he's going over more lines. And it's Jeff Bridges just getting to just have fun, go go nuts, really ham it up, yeah. really. And I, do, I always like when you see, um, in this case, it's an actor who's getting ready to do an acting gig in the movie so you get to kind of see like an actor being an actor and here he is practicing and going over things and trying you know ad-libbing and trying different stuff and all this and again just so wrapped up in himself and then turns around and there's his face on all the TVs cuz he's on the they're they're talking about him on the news and the gut punch of that whole the way that scene then unfolds and it, very few people i feel like can have the look of complete confusion and horror that Jeff Bridges can seem to pull off—I don't know how he does it.
0: He's one of those actors that he became what they call like he's a genre actor, mm-hmm. like like Christopher Walken became a genre, Nicholas Cage became a genre, yeah. And Jeff Bridges isn't there yet, but I mean, lately, we're so the way he's talking and acting like an old prospector and he's becoming a caricature of himself a little bit and it's a really good caricature when the guy has chops (laughs) for days and when he pulls himself out of those roles because i think he just takes them because they're fun Mm -hmm. but when he gets a meaty role the man devours it oh yeah and in this i remember i remember him mostly from starman and thinking he didn't he didn't really have to do much in that movie because he was just this blank slate because he was an alien trying to figure out the world. Right. But in this, it was the first time I really saw him in his early work, really, really acting because I mean, I never watched like the fabulous Baker boys, which got him this film because mm. Jerry Gilliman was on a plane and saw it and said, Jeff Bridges, <laughs> that's my man. He, yep. Literally, that's how he got cast. I love
1: that. I love um, stories like that. I think like Bruce that.
0: Willis tried out for this movie. I mean, mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. And it, it, it he's just so, he's just one of those he's almost like an enigma when he acts because you never quite he never quite lets you totally in, but he relaxes you so much that you don't mind
1: it. Yeah, no, that's just there's put it.
0: something drawing about him. and I've always liked Jeff Bridges for that and reason.
1: even when and, he's you know he, even when he's playing a heavy like uh, you know what he did in in the first Iron Man movie to play a villain to be Obadiah Stane, he was, He's still, he, he's so disarming and he's so like non-threatening.
0: Yep. He's yet, just got that. Hey, Tony, how's it yeah. going? We're going to go out back and kill Tony. And you're just like, yeah. and shit.
1: you're just like, yeah, that sounds like a great, wait, what? <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and look, like he's he just, can, he, he yeah. And he can be intimidating. I mean, obviously he can, yeah, uh, he, he can be intimidating, but he's so, just charming and disarming and he and you're right he relaxes you and lets you just get comfortable with him in the movie and like in this he has to go from he is wholly unlikable in that opening few minutes like he is just not a likable person at all and then the inciting incident happens and he sees the news story about the mass shooting at the bar and it's because of what he said to this guy that was like the final straw and the catalyst to it and as a character, because you mentioned Howard Stern and one of the, there was a quote from Howard Stern saying like, that he didn't understand why the guy was off the radio after that, because of the publicity of it, he's like, I'd be on the next day. And I'm thinking, yeah, I read okay, that yeah, but then you have no soul because this guy feels bad about what happened. And he's not off the air because yeah. he, lo- he didn't get fired for what the incident that occurred. He's traumatized by that and he can't do it anymore. And so Bridges gives you that emotional vulnerability to go from this cocky, shock jock, unlikable guy to a very different type of unlikable guy, but he's unlikable because of the trauma that he's going through. And we, it's nice to see in a movie, like a full true character arc and see somebody, we don't just see a character arc where somebody gets broken down and then gets back to what they were at the beginning of the movie. We actually see Jeff Bridges. We see Jack get broken down, go through a whole bunch of stuff, go back to what he was, and then grow from there. And he becomes a better person by the end of
0: it. And what's funny is he does revert Mm -hmm. at one point. He does. I mean, when he thinks that he fixed Perry, he literally just goes, Honey, I'm done. I can't be with you anymore. Yeah. I got to go back to my old life. And she just sits there. Are you serious right now? And her reaction is so like, Holy crap. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's such a, oh. And he, I just, I don't know. Like their, their relationship, I love. I absolutely adore mm-hmm. it. Because they're such polar opposites. But they work so well together. He, he and Anne are adorable together
1: they really and it's are because
0: she is she's linda belcher but more grounded she she is bob's burger's wife <laughs> she's just yeah. this happy yeah, po- lucky trying to just make everybody happy but don't push her too hard because she can bite back you know and 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 she'll make you feel like crap about it and i i mercedes rules nails this role
1: oh absolutely absolutely
0: I... just tackles
1: it I had a little bit of feeling of like Moonstruck as well. I, yes. I felt I felt some yes. of that in there with you know. She reminded me a bit of she was the Terry. She was Cher's character in Moonstruck filtered through the lens of Terry Gilliam to fit his world and his <laughs> that- version of New York. Like and it works oh, perfectly. It. He's so and yeah. and she just. I mean, at the beginning of the uh, as I'm rewatching it and I'm remembering how good she was. And then I'm just watching that whole thing unfold. And I'm like, Oh, she earned that. She earned that Academy award. How Robin Williams didn't win. He didn't win because they went up against silence of the lambs that year. It was Anthony Hopkins. I was now, gonna say, I will he say lost. okay. Hopkins was very, very good. However, he was on screen for like 15 minutes. So he yes. really should have gotten supporting actor. Um, you know, Williams yeah. did eventually get his Oscar. Uh, sad that he only ever got one. Because, and you look at... What did he get? He got it for
0: Goodwill Hunting, right?
1: Yep, he got it for Goodwill Hunting. But he was nominated...
0: Which is phenomenal. He's phenomenal. Oh, it's,
1: it's amazing. But he was nominated for um, this movie, for Good Morning Vietnam. I mean, you look at yeah. the stretch he had uh, right around the time and of this Deadpool movie. And
0: Society, I think.
1: I think he was for that too. Yeah. But you like, you look at I mean,
0: Robin Williams.
1: Oof. Well, think about that was as a guy who came up and was known as like just the wacky zany comedy guy, right. Stand up comedy, more yeah. Mork from work. And he granted, he always wanted to be an actor and like he took oh. roles like that. But starting with, um, I'll, I'll make the mark of good morning Vietnam in 87. He had done some, uh, some dramatic stuff prior to that, but that was kind of the first one that that was the breakout of like, oh, this guy's more than just a comedian. But he has Good Morning Vietnam, um, he has Dead Poet Society. Two years later, he has Awakenings, and then this movie, which that's with some other stuff thrown in there too. Those that's four pretty phenomenal roles that yeah. he managed to, I mean... to get.
0: The man was, he was such an interesting actor because I remember growing up and I knew him from Happy Days when he played Mork and I Mm -hmm. remember him when he was, you know, doing that show and when he would act like, I look at Popeye. Mm -hmm. I mean, Popeye doesn't work completely as a film, but his role in it. He literally brought the weirdest-looking cartoon imaginable to oh, yeah. life, to perfection. I mean, when he twists his little hand and does that little spit and knocks out a squid, I mean, it's insane. Yeah. The, the, the guy was a genius, but we it's such a shame we didn't know what a broken genius he is. And I think this movie brings a lot of that out in him. It, he, yeah. I think he, he might have been working some stuff out, because he is so manic, but when he goes into those fits of reminiscence of where the red knight comes out, that fear in his eyes is so real. He is, he turns into a child and just when he's balled up in the street, it's just one of the most affecting things in this film. I I absolutely like, his role is just, it's just highs and lows and it never stops it's amazing
1: it it doesn't and he he has to play like he has to play two different versions of perry but perry is himself a like uh, a different iteration of the person he actually is in the the teacher so he, you can yeah. tell like he's playing this character of perry with the <coughs> idea that he is somebody broken from a traumatic experience. And he's dealing with trauma in a very different way from the way Jack is dealing with what we find out is the exact same trauma, which is pretty like bold to put in your movie, in my opinion. Um, And And,
0: uh, I mean, uh, Jack is also dealing with the, he's dealing with the guilt end of it
1: though. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which
0: in a way Perry's Perry at least has the, not the benefit but the kind of it takes away for it he doesn't have to w- work so hard because he's really just kind of out there now where mm-hmm. jeff bridges has full memory of what's going on plus the guilt plus you know he made money off this guy he created a monster yeah and i mean he he meets him because he was trying to kill himself <laughs> you know i mean here he is tying a tying a brick to his ankle with a Pinocchio puppet, and two guys beat the hell out of him. Which one of those two guys I found out was, was Dan Williams' son from the
1: Burke. I know, I'd forgotten that was one another of the one.
0: worst sons in history. That, I completely, that kid was a monster. I completely
1: <laughs> forgot about that. And he's he, they flashed his face, but I'm like, hold on a second. I paused the movie. I'm like, wait a minute. And I had to look that up, and sure enough, there's there he is, and that. I was like, that's that's great. Um No, he just, uh, Robin Williams had so much ability to generate emotion in somebody. He could make you laugh. He could make you cry. He could make you sit and think. He could be in the same scene, goofy. He's in Central Park stripping naked to lay in the grass and bouncing around and just doing it. He's just like, whatever, I'll do this. That's fine. I Absolutely. And then on a dime turns and you're just like, you're captivated by what he's saying. And he's telling you the story of the Fisher King and, uh, relaying that myth. And I was just like, Oh, Oh, Robin.
0: And the one part of it that is so beautiful is when he goes, I think I heard it in a lecture once.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm.
0: At Hunter college or something. Meanwhile, it was like, he gave the lecture.
1: Yep. Mm -hmm. Like
0: he doesn't remember that. That was it. And that's why he tells it so perfectly. Is yeah. it was him the whole time? And it, it, God, he's just the most. And but then the next minute, you're you're about to start weeping, and then he jumps up and will do some crazy spin, yeah. and you're like, and he's Robin Williams again. And I mean, he brought that energy to things like Aladdin. He brought, you know, to Hook. Even I, I, I heard your episode on Hook the other day, yeah. and I was just, I was laughing the whole time so I'm just like. Uh, I get to talk about Rob Williams again.
1: Well, and it, awesome. it's great <laughs> because so like, excited. if you're going to, when I, I talked about it on a hook, but if you're going to cast a, an adult child, you can like Robin Williams is perfect yeah. for that. For exactly what you mentioned earlier, which is in this, when Perry has those flashbacks and sees the red Knight, which is both. It's the manifestation of all of his problems, right? It's, it's the way he's seeing the problems and that's why it's red and the, all that kind of stuff but it also fits perfectly into the myth that he's telling which is why this person's psyche would have pulled those images and used them Mm -hmm. um the fear in his eyes is so real in those moments and that's the type of stuff that i feel i just feel like even with all of the credit that Robin Williams gets for how good of an actor he was, it's not enough. He was that much better at all of it. Like just the, the ranges of emotion that he could get out of you in one movie. And there were, you know, you had those times where people would talk about the Robin Williams formula of movies, whether it was patch Adams or Jack or, you know, all these things. But if you watch them, they, they do what they're meant to do, which is to make you feel something. And, and not for so nothing good at
0: that. think of how much ad living the man would do, and there must be entire like I mean criterion collections of just the b-roll, yeah, uh, like, I can't I imagine want that I want all the b-roll that man has ever spewed out into the world because I goddamn guarantee you it is bliss and goodness to the highest extent.
1: Jeff Bridges was I
0: couldn't imagine, that.
1: oh yeah. Jeff Bridges was giving an interview uh, just a few years ago. It was around, it was shortly after The Giver had come out, I think.
0: No, oh, okay.
1: Um, and he was giving an interview. They asked him about The Fisher King, and he was talking about working with Robin and how, like, there would be nights where they'd be working until, like, three, four, five o'clock in the morning, these long nights, and there'd be times where they're just dragging, and the crew is tired, and everybody's falling apart, and then Robin would just jump up, and just start doing the Robin Williams thing and just go a million miles an hour at everybody around. He was riffing on actors and crew and all this. And Bridges is like, you know, most, most directors would be like, okay, Robin. Okay. That's, that's great. Let's, let's stop now. And let's get back to work. And he's like, Terry would just let him go. He would go for like a half an hour and then we'd be all jazzed and we'd be ready and we could go for another three hours. And it's just how amazing that was. And uh, and just how he would bring that uh, to movies. But then there was another moment. His, his favorite or one of his most lasting memories was they were shooting underneath one of the bridges. And uh, they uh, whatever happened, they went to sit down. And the, there's the two of them. They sit down. And just as they sit down, like a whole flock of pigeons comes by and just craps all over them as they flew by. <laughs> and they both just look at each other. It's just like, yeah okay and like it's he's like it was a moment where robin williams didn't say anything <laughs> and they just kind of like well i guess we're in this now and they had to keep going <laughs> but it's just it's like i love hearing those stories and i love I hearing lo- the, the robin williams stories of like him on you know in the recording studio for aladdin oh my
0: and, god i watched some of that that is
1: insane oh, to, to, how much he could oh. do just by himself in a tiny <laughs> little room
0: yeah, and they were like, we're not even gonna, we'll draw it afterwards. Yeah. Because we have no clue what we're gonna be able to use.
1: <laughs> no, And not I'm at sure all.
0: they, like, and it was just rapid fire joke, 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 joke. I mean, I, I remember back in the 80s watching him when I forget what show it was, he was doing stand up and he literally climbed the balcony.
1: Oh, yeah. And
0: walked the whole. He was coked out of his head and he didn't stop. I think he went on for like another hour and a half after they finished recording. It's
1: insane. That
0: man was just this force. But he also had... He knew humanity. I mean, I watched... I got on this weird tangent the other day. Uh, I'll take away from the movie for a second. On YouTube, where we were watching videos of Coco the Gorilla mm-hmm. meeting celebrities. And... It was Mister Rogers, which was the cutest damn thing I ever saw, and Robin Williams, and Coco takes Robin Williams' wallet and is like going through it, looking at the driver's license, and like <laughs> making sure it's him. Putting it back, he goes. It was just like playing with a giant child all day, <laughs> and I think that's what she was thinking about me. And I was like, only this man could have this much fun with a with a six hundred pound gorilla. Yeah. I love, oh. I love him, ah. and and this movie was such a, I think this was, I wish I had seen this sooner in his career. Cause when I really saw him change was things like um, the, the one you spoke about earlier, the it was the De Niro movie.
1: Awakenings. Um, Awakenings. Yep.
0: He's amazing in that. But that's, you know, it's not a comedic role, right? But it's the first time you really got to see him do drama, except for maybe a little bit. in like, uh, Garp, which I've seen bits and pieces of the world according to Garp. Yeah, which he he worked with Amanda Plummer on that also. Right, evidently, and she is an interesting choice for this film. I'd like to. What did you think about her as the love interest?
1: She is an interesting choice because she is not what you would classically think of as getting cast as the love interest in a movie. Um, but I told she took that hat off i was like Um, holy crap i i now i i like amanda Plummer a lot um in every in anything that i've seen her in but what works is she works in this movie because she has this awkwardness to her that fits it's the puzzle piece that matches the character of perry perfectly and when uh when they're having the like that whole dinner scene at the at the asian restaurant is <laughs> brilliant and it's brilliantly laid out in that they keep doing that wipe back and forth yes which that is so my
0: girlfriend lost it she she was that's when she kind of really started to watch me, and she goes this is genius she's <laughs> like this is like the best comedy i've ever seen cuz it, it they, they don't even saying anything they're just dropping dump yeah (laughs) and you and but it's more fun to watch jeff bridges and Anne watch them like like they're kids yes it's that's the beauty of that scene
1: that is exactly because you see it evolve it's the scene starts off and and here's perry and um uh what i can't remember amanda Plummer's character's name but they're uh, and they're awkward um, and they're dropping stuff and they're, they're like breaking dishes and you've got the parents, you've got, you've got Jack and Anne, and they're just like, Oh, what have we done? Why are, why are we here? What is going on? And then the wipes happen and you just see it evolve <laughs> and you see them like at some point turn a corner. And even when Jack leans over and is like, what do you think? And they're like, they're perfect for each other. Like they were made for each <laughs> yeah. other. And, and by the end of it, they're just laughing and they're having a ball. And I love that. And it's, it's a moment of great humanity because it's Perry. Perry gets to like feel this, th- these emotions that he, he's, he's held in for so long. He's getting to finally fulfill this fantasy he's had with um, mm-hmm. this girl. She is opening up and having fun for what probably is the first time for her in a long time. And Anne and Jack yeah. get to experience this and see the humanity in these two awkward people in very different. And they they both see the world in such a different way. And it's just this great moment of four people. And then you get that shot that pulls back and it's a bunch of like the restaurant workers and other people in there. Just and watching. they're just watching, <laughs> just, just fascinated by the whole thing. And I was just like.
0: That one guy just has his hand. his He's <laughs> yeah, just like that. These two crazy kids. <laughs> it's adorable.
1: And I like, love
0: it. I love uh, that.
1: I loved that scene. And then that shot was just the cherry on top of the sundae it was it was like, and oh, God, that's so the
0: preempt perfect. to that, where he finds the perfect suit mm. and he has to staple it. to make, like, <laughs> size.
1: He's stapling. I don't a hem know into why
0: that, tick- that tickled me to no way, because I'm sitting there. He's just like, so we should, what should I say to her, Jack? I don't know. Dude, can you just hold still for 2 seconds? Like, he's like, "Can you pull your pants?"
1: <laughs> Robin Williams is just vibrating as he's trying to use and it's he's like a He's a little big, kid
0: going to his first dance. It's yeah. adorable.
1: And he's using like a big like <laughs> home stapler, like you would use to staple stuff to the wall to staple this suit that's still too big. And yeah. uh, I just oh oh, God. I loved every moment of that.
0: And and, and that's the poster. I mean, mm -hmm. it's him like pointing at Ron Williams and Ron Williams just having this little childlike look on his face, wearing that oversized suit. And you know what? I can't think of a better poster than that. No. That one shot is perfect. It's absolutely, it was a screenshot they got and they went, we're going with that it was i there, love it I think there's a- the
1: marketing image right there and and it's great because that's kind of the first moment where we see perry get cleaned up too because up until this point he has been very much a homeless person in new york city and i'm i appreciate when production design thinks enough to do things like dirty up and mess up their teeth and the face and like just hands are dirty and grimy and all of that all the stuff that you would normally see um, and so like, yeah. just to see Robin and Hansard, I'm glad like, they
0: didn't do the, uh, and I'm glad they didn't do the insane old man, put him in a jacuzzi and clean him up yeah. because he's so filthy kind of like, cause I'd be like, Oh really? Come on.
1: <laughs> but like every, you know, his, his hands were always that just like kind of mechanics. They looked like mechanics hands, just constantly grease and dirt covered, oh, yeah, And he had dirt all over his face. Even when, when Jack is looking through his clothes and here's Perry eating the food, like which is another really funny scene, right? Because here's Perry eating the food, and he just keeps asking Ann to bring over more food so he can stare down her shirt. And yeah. but even there, and like she's, she's just like <laughs> she does, and and I don't, she doesn't grasp it at first, but like by the second or third time, she sort of figured out what's going on. And uh, but even there, he's still like he's still dirty. His face has still got dirt like on it, and his beard is a little dirty yep. and patchy, and and all of that, like, they just did a good job. It helps when you've got a hairy guy like Robin Williams to, like, to use as that.
0: Although, I will say, I thought his stomach would be hairier. I did, When they were laying in Central Park, I'm like, I really thought I was going to see him. They weren't even going to have to, like, put a Merkin on him. (laughs) Like, he's
1: he's
0: just just a human Merkin.
1: He's just wearing (laughs) his own sweater. But um, uh, I just, uh, everything about the role of Perry. And then Terry Gilliam... One of the other things I love that he does is the blurring of fantasy and reality and bringing those two things together because it's it's very much what a lot of people will go through in their daily lives, but you may not see it as visual. But you have yeah. these thoughts and, these, and the stuff go on in your head, and so he just makes that visual. Brazil is so good at it, right? Brazil is like the master class in, in my opinion yeah. because you, you're never... sure what is what is real and what isn't because he skews the view of the real world so much and I like that here because Perry Perry exists in our world but he is haunted by all the stuff that happened as part of his trauma and so that's what's got him he you know he's not he's not hospitalized anymore but he probably should be because of the trauma and what he's been going through so he's hearing voices he's seeing things that no one else is and then we get to see those as well, but then you see it happening to Jack just a little bit, especially when yeah, he yeah, finally yeah. decides I, to go for the Grail uh, and complete the quest.
0: That that, and I've driven past that building so many times. It's it's on uh, I think ninety fourth and Madison by Hunter College.
1: Okay, yeah,
0: um, that building is awesome. That is a cool. It, it is a literal castle in the middle of Manhattan, and. <laughs> I could not imagine scaling. That That was the fact that he knew to use a wrist rocket to shoot an arrow. I, I love I that archery. That's pretty impressive. Yeah.
1: I, love <laughs> I was that. like, that is cool as hell. I love and the line of the outfit. Yeah. He's wearing Perry's outfit, which was great. And, uh, the, hat and all. the hat and everything. And then I love the line as he's climbing up the rope. I'm glad nobody in this city looks up. Like <laughs> <laughs> Because you got that rope that's hanging uh, almost down to street level oh, okay. as he's climbing the side of a castle, um, only in New York. And I
0: don't think anyone would. Honestly, no one would care. No,
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> no uh, so care. that was and
0: I, I. Go ahead, go ahead.
1: Oh no, no, go ahead. Because uh, I'm I'm going to go off on. A oh no, change. I was just saying the the New
0: Yorkness of this movie is who was that?
1: <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Keep going. <laughs>
0: i have been but you know
1: um uh
0: the new yorkness of all this is i mean it's on par with like the third uh, like die hard with a vengeance with how Mm -hmm. new york this movie felt because i i mean i'm born and raised new york i've lived here my whole life and in that's what it looked like and i was just it's so nice when you actually see it and they use things that aren't just the Flatiron building or the empire state building they i mean i don't think any other movies ever use that building i you know? can't and remember you, one because no one ever goes past 54th street movies this is on 94th street madison you mm. know it's uptown no one wants to go uptown right it's gorgeous the architecture in this town is great that no one ever uses and i'm watching this movie and i've worked in half these buildings i've been to half in it's so much. I, I love when they actually shoot New York for New York, and that's all I have to say. Sorry, oh no, no, no,
1: absolutely. And what I have kind of dovetails on that, but um, I do want to say, like, I love New York for the the times that I have been able to visit. Um, and yes, I haven't stayed longer than like a week at a time, so I'm sure that plays into it a little bit. I don't have to. I'm not there Sorry. all the time, but every time I've been part of it is that it's so polar opposite from where I am and where I grew up. I grew up very small town, rural, you know, the largest metropolitan area to me is a hundred miles away and that's grand Rapids. It's not very big by comparison. So like New York and Chicago are so just vastly different. And there's, there's a different feel to cities like that. There's a, there's like a life and a cadence and a breath and a breathing that a city has that you don't get in, in a rural situation and I love that yeah. and I like when movies capture that and to your point shooting New York for New York is a big thing and I've gotten a lot better at being able to kind of pick those out where I can tell this was shot in Toronto mm. this was shot in Vancouver oh,
0: versus... I can give you a world tour of Toronto at this point it's horrible <laughs> everything is to Toronto now it, and and I it's a gorgeous town don't get me wrong it's not New York though and you can tell and it
1: and, kills me so and like I get it when when they have to do that because budget but you know something like die hard with a vengeance is one uh, my first ever trip to new york you city needed
0: to be in new york for that movie it you, would not have worked any other
1: way you did and my first trip to new york city i retraced a bunch of the steps of that movie because i loved it so much and i was like i'm, I'm gonna go to central park i'm gonna go to these places and see these things that's awesome and seeing stuff like even with a movie like Ghostbusters, you can tell when the stuff that was shot in New York versus what was shot in L.A. Um, outside the like the buildings. I mean, all the interiors yep. are L.A., the exteriors are New York. Um, but I like that they did that at least for the exteriors because it, it has that right feel. Um, yeah. Moonstruck. I'll humble
0: brag on, on <laughs> I'm humble bragging on Ghostbusters. Uh, Dana Barrett's apartment. Yeah, I worked on that penthouse roof. Oh, nice. I built that apartment. <laughs> years nice. later i was the one who got to reno one day fog rolls in oh. do you know how creepy that rooftop <laughs> is when fog rolls in oh, those little man. spires and all that oh it's all there and it is the building's not that high but man it freaked us all out we all took a we were all taking pictures of it, it was i awesome. bet
1: that um, building's gorgeous but one of the things it was for me and it's it's not overplayed in the movie which i kind of do like but the homelessness hmm. of characters like Perry and Michael Jeter's character, and a surprise cameo from Tom Waits, which is yet Tom another Waits thing that, an excellent when miss. I see Tom Waits in something, it's like immediately that movie has gotten better. And yes, um, that
0: man's voice, oh, I love it.
1: But his scene it, <laughs> epitomizes what it is, which is they're they're invisible. You don't see them. They're not looked at as yep. people. And the movie did a good job with that um, without like hitting you over the head with it because they they really focused a lot of it in the one scene. But then that scene then that scene um, with Tom Waits and, you know, the guy like the one woman comes by and drops a couple of coins in her cup in his cup and he you know, he thanks her. And the next guy comes by and just sticks his arm out and drops a coin, not even looking and you get. Uh, Jack is like, what an asshole. You know, he didn't even look at you. And and Waits is like, yeah, well, they're paying so they don't have to look. And yeah. and this there's is...
0: also one part where Robin Williams gets, like, he has a cup of coffee or <laughs> yeah. whatever. Because he doesn't drink coffee, but he has a cup of coffee. And the guy just drops it into his coffee. He's into like, coffee. oh, thank, thank you so much. Yeah. It was just like, oh, my God. They really don't look at you.
1: They don't look at all. It was
0: so, that was... It was, but you know, he just doesn't even care.
1: No, no, he doesn't care. And like Tom Waits, his character it's, doesn't care. He gets it. He understands what's going on. Um, it's a great scene to have right after, you know, Jeff, uh, Jack has tried to pay Perry like 70 bucks and walk away. Because there's that line that he has when he's talking to Anne where he's like, I just want to be able to pay the fine and go home. And like that yeah. was such a... Yep. gut punch of a line because it's you know brutal. exactly what he means and there's no way he can do that and he kind of knows he knows he can't yeah. just buy his way out of this but that's all he wants
0: and that's what's yeah that that that's just what's crippling him you know mm-hmm. that's his disease is just that guilt you know and the and I think the worst part about it is just that now he loves Perry. Like yeah. Perry's his new like best friend and mm-hmm. the guy saved his life, you know, and he he owes him. Yeah. He owes him more than he did before now. And he and that do you think the Robin Williams character would have been more interesting if you knew what he was like when he was Harry? When, his, when uh, I think his name was Harry Searles or something like that.
1: I don't think so. When and, he w- and and the reason I say I didn't know is what makes the character intriguing to me is the way Robin Williams plays him, and as you've mentioned a couple of times, just that manic nature, and he's crazy, and then he'll calm down and he'll talk to you a little bit, yeah. and he'll he'll philo- he'll uh, philosophize with you. And then he'll go crazy again. And he'll, you know, like I said, strip naked in Central Park and run around just bouncing around. Um, but I think, we, yeah, I,
0: I think if we.
1: Yeah. And I think if we knew his character from before that, then we're going to constantly be looking at Perry differently because he's not. We won't think of him as Perry. We'll think of him as this person going through something as opposed to Perry, who is. a fully fleshed like version of this guy. And he is who, you know, Perry is who remains the guy that was in the Mm -hmm. bar who lost his wife died that night and Mm -hmm. he's not ever coming back. And Perry is going to have to continue on because that's really, and, and that that's another thing that this movie did because we talked about how Jack goes through, um, goes you know gets broken down and then reverts back to who he was before because he thinks he did what he was supposed to do and then he grows from that because he Mm -hmm. can't go back to being who he was before trauma won't allow that to happen he has to evolve and move on and harry died that night and perry was born and trauma is such that like perry is now the dominant personality and he is who is going to continue and um now I just, I just at the end, he still was called Perry, right, yeah, yeah, because Amanda Plummer comes in to talk to him, okay, and she's looking for Perry
0: that's right. I was trying to remember if she if if he changed his name or not, I was trying to remember
1: and like and so i Sorry. I kind of like not knowing who he was beforehand because it's really largely irrelevant to who he is now, who Perry is now there you get little little bits and little flavors of who Harry was when he's reciting the the myth and all of that there's that's always going to be a part of him but like he's not that person anymore and I don't think we need that per like a performance of that coloring the way that we see Perry I don't need it at least so that
0: was pretty much my reading also and I was just curious just to throw it out there to see sure. if you know you'd be like huh I don't know and I kind of felt the same way I think if you knew more about kind of just this normal everyman. it almost takes away the mythos of the this like kind of epic homeless character. You yeah. know, like he thinks he's a knight. He thinks, and he's this, and he's beating people up in the park and being a badass and just, I think it would have just taken so much away from him. You're, you're exactly right. I was just curious if I was crazy and thinking, because today, nowadays, we would put that in Mm -hmm. you know we would dissect this character to no end and i think it would lose its meaning because modern audiences want to know everything Mm -hmm. and i think that we just know enough is perfect for perry you know like and i absolutely just that moment where his wife gets shot and that is trigger warning central when you literally yeah see his face mm-hmm. and they built the red knight around that image yeah they wanted to hit that that splatter of blood look yeah and the guy the suit weighed something like 250 pounds had yeah, it was something ridiculous. the lamps was this des- it was designed to shoot fire he had two different horses one to do a rear back and one to do a gallop. And they yeah. had to put ice packs to the whole thing. And, but they 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 were going to build just this regular night. And they're like, no, no, no. It has to look like every bit of his nightmare. And they show that about four times during the movie. And it gets worse incrementally. And it is that last one where he has his breakdown and goes comatose. You finally get it. Yep. And it is that is the most impactful, brutal thing, I think Terry Gilliam's ever put to film, and Robin Williams is superb doing that scene, and that Absolutely. is a hard scene to pull off. And it is. I, I was kind of shocked by it, honestly.
1: Oh, I, I really
0: wasn't expecting the gore.
1: I w- I'd forgotten about it completely. I'd forgotten that, the, yeah. that there was that much there. And it's the thing where, and I, as I mentioned earlier, kind of putting Terry Gilliam in that sort of realm of like a David Lynch and some of those types of directors, in that they're unapologetic. They're going to show and do what they want to do, and they're going to make you ask questions and then never answer them. Yeah. And, and I love it. I love that because I don't need – like. If you you know you can ask terry gilliam like well what does this mean what does that mean he'll he'll probably just smile at you or just say like well what do do you think it means what does it mean to you because that's what's important he wants that interpretation and that blurring of fantasy and reality that he's so good at doing is part of that so yeah i love that a ton
0: and part of being i think part of being a good storyteller is sometimes leaving the audience just wanting yeah and Questioning, just that moment where you go, but wait, this is what it meant to me, and somebody else goes, that's not what it meant. This is what it meant, and the director just gets to sit back and have that moment of, I caused a brilliant discussion, yes, and that's hard to do because we're such a literal society when we it comes to our entertainment, and when you get a film like this that just has the, like, I missed things the first time around. When I was watching it the second time and I'm pointing things out just in my notes, going, oh, oh wait, this, that. My notes made more and more sense. And I was just going, it was just Easter eggs. Yeah. It was just these like little specks of each character coming to life. And my God, it is just so well-crafted. And I, I, I love the way it ends. And I hate the way it ends. <laughs> the, the, the the fireworks thing. I was like, eh, I don't know. But it, it's so farcical and fantastical. I, it was kind of sweet, especially with naked Jeff Bridges just kicking his feet up in the air.
1: Well, and it's <laughs> that...
0: It's, Having a blast.
1: Yeah, it's that idea that, like, the story is being told to us and we have a somewhat unreliable narrator going on, right? Because, like, we're getting this story told through the eyes of Perry and through the eyes of Jack as they're experiencing it. So we get these moments, like one of, one of I think, the, the my favorite moments is in Grand Central as Perry starts following her. And then all of a sudden, yes. in the middle, because she is about to get lost in a sea of people and he is invisible to everyone around him. And then all of a sudden, and it's so subtly done in the background of a shot where you're focused on Robin Williams. You're looking at Perry. And then you mm-hmm. start to see people moving differently around him as he's weaving in between them. And suddenly, everybody in Grand Central is dancing a waltz around him. And the music it, comes up. And it just is this surreal moment of everyone dancing as he, as he follows her and just looks at her. And, and, and then for it to end it, I, exactly it, the it, same it, way. And it just, it, everyone goes back to what they're doing. So brilliant. Such a beautiful moment and it yeah. kind of made me like the ending sort of reminds me of that where it's like that's all happening in grand central inside perry's head he is seeing yeah. this happen and so that's what like the ending with the fireworks made me feel like that's that's perry and jack seeing what they want to see as they're just lying there naked in the grass in a completely empty central yeah, park how- which is impressive <laughs>
0: It, it, uh, at night, I can imagine, but yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't suggest laying like, naked in Central Park. No, <laughs> that's just asking for trouble. <laughs> but uh, no, like it, I just remember seeing that at first, and it jarred me, and then I kind of laughed to myself, and I had the the reaction that you have, where you're just like, "Yes, it's it's just fun. It's just they everything worked out in the end." once in all of these miserable people's life it may not be the ending you want but at least they're happy Mm -hmm. you know it's like this guy was top of the world made him miserable this guy had a tragedy and had to disappear into a fantastical world just to deal with it and found love somehow yeah you know which I would love to know how that relationship works afterwards. (laughs) They don't go into it, but man, that's gotta be interesting.
1: So it's one of those where I don't want to necessarily have I I don't want to learn any more about what happened before the events of this movie, but I would, I would love even just like a novella, something that kind of just follows up and just talks about like Jack and Anne and what they did because Jack is going, is going to go back on the radio, you know, but he's not going to be the same radio DJ that he was. Meanwhile, Anne, is she going to keep the, the video store or not? Which, real quick before I forget, I love oh. the two uh, titles of the porn movies they had in the, in this movie, which was because I love, I love parody porn titles, in, that especially when they, they show up in like mainstream movies. Ordinary Peoples yeah. uh, oh, wow. cracked me up. And Kramer versus Creamer was the other one. I love and it. it. Just yeah, uh, I I love that kind of stuff. And I like, love
0: that her office is the porn room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to go into her office <laughs> while she's working to look at pornography. Yep. It's she's, I, I, I want a movie about Anne. I love that character. Honestly, she's, yes.
1: Yes, I'm with she's, you. She's
0: she's the most normal, but she's not, and she just fits in with this bunch so perfectly. She's the extrovert to um Amanda Plummer's introvert. Yeah, which that's why watching these four date is just a delight in well, every scene.
1: And and the way that that scene goes, where Amanda Plummer comes over to get her nails done, and they start off, and they're just they're like she's at such
0: a pain in the ass. Yeah, they're,
1: and they're just at loggerheads, and they're just like butting heads. And she's <laughs> you know she's filing the nails, and then we go away, and we come back, and they're giggling and laughing and rolling on the floor. And you can tell like the same type of thing, just the way that uh, Amanda Plummer and Perry's characters are like a perfect kind of romantic match. She yeah. and like Anne and her character are a like a great friend match because they're different enough that the way they slot together works for a friendship. You could tell, like I feel like they would have a good friendship moving forward and I'd love a movie. Just have a movie about the two of them. <laughs> And you can mention Perry and Jack and maybe have them have a cameo or something. But, like, the movie's about the two of them. Because that would be awesome.
0: Yeah, I, they, they, I, Mercedes Rule, the fir- I remember the first time I, re- I saw her and remembered her was Last Action Hero.
1: Mm, right. When I was about
0: 15 going to see that. And she was the mom in that. And she is hilarious. She's just, she, and Arnold Schwarzenegger's like, do you know you can just sit down with a woman? and have coffee and she taught me about Mozart and Beethoven and and, and he's just having this like and she's like you didn't tell me your friend was a cop he seems like a gentleman what are you it was that woman is hilarious she she was almost on SNL oh wow she tried out and almost made SNL I would have loved to have seen that so she would have I mean she would have had a Seinfeld career at that point
1: (laughs) probably i mean i remember her very distinctly from an episode she was a guest star on an episode of psych and she was playing this like oh, wow. uh and so she was probably in her late 40s early 50s at the time and she's playing a rookie cop who's like just terrible like has tried the 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 exam to become a cop like 15 times and finally made it and like the whole episode she's you know everything's an injury of some kind that she had from some bar fight or some fight that happened when she was younger. So like she can't ride shotgun in the car. She has to sit in the back because, you know, she did something to the cones in her eyes and like all this kind of, and so I just, I remember her like, I remember her so distinctly from that because it's such a ridiculous character and like so over the top. And I forget when I see her, when I, whenever I rewatch psych and I forget, like that's an Academy award winner. Like, she's she's hamming it up for this show but she's so good and i completely forgotten that she was in last action hero uh, yeah. as well i
0: i mean i i would love to see her make a, a weird comeback on some you know like just the way like um what's her name from cagney and Lacey was on burn notice as the mom you know yeah
1: like,
0: i mean she daily pops in on something you're just like oh i know you yeah, where, like she's, where is Mercedes' Rule? <laughs> I mean,
1: she's been working, but it's all little stuff: an episode here, a movie there, three episodes of she yeah. was in like three episodes of Bull, you know, back in 2020. Couple, of, oh, couple of episodes geez. of something here and there, but like nothing, nothing major. And it's kind of a bummer because I, I feel like, yeah, she should have that resurgence because she is. I will say that.
0: Have you did did you watch season three of Picard?
1: I have not watched any of Picard. And yet.
0: Amanda Plummer. Amanda Plummer is eating scenery in mm. the best way possible. She's the heavy.
1: Oh. Okay. And my
0: God, that woman is terrifyingly good in this. She is just smoking cigarettes and being a badass. I mean, she's like old school bad guy, and I love her. She's oh. I I didn't know it was her at first, and then my friend Jeff was just like. That's Amanda Plummer, (laughs) and I looked, and she 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 turned the camera at that moment. I went, "Wow, I you found the role for you." She is excellent in it. I mean, say what you want about the guard, it's a it's an okay show. Third season, I think, is the best season, but she is excellent in that. She was so much fun because she always she gets the weirdest roles, and you never know what it. I mean, I shot Andy Warhol. I still think is her best performance. I don't know if you ever saw that. Oh,
1: uh, um, I have not she, seen that It's one.
0: it's by the woman. It's by the woman uh, who made American Psycho, and it's about okay. this. Uh, it's about this activist who kills Andy Warhol, and she she plays the woman. It. I remember watching it in college and go, "Who is this?" And then I saw her in Pulp Fiction in that little tiny role. Yep. And then I and then. I didn't know she did stuff like this, you know, like I just never caught her enough. And I, at first I was thinking, you know, Amanda Plummer, she's, she's such a strange spice. And then she takes her hat off and she is absolutely adorable. Oh yeah. It was the first time I sat there and went, Amanda Plummer just needed a haircut. (laughs) She looks excellent in this movie. I can see why Rob Williams is into her. And I, I, it was just, they, and they do that so intermittently and they they keep her kind of just in her little cocoon and i i i really it's one of the first times i've truly enjoyed her in something that would seem to be out of her comfort zone that wasn't just like a super weirdo she's just an introvert yeah you know she's just she's not an outward person and that's great that's who she is in this it it was the first time i really like you felt for and she was just but she's mean and cute at the same time. You just don't know how to deal, and it's perfect with that heavy syrupy Robin Williams performance. Oh, where yeah. Where everything's uh-huh. so sweet and happy, you know, it, it mixes so well that bitter and sweet. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it works. It's the same with Jeff Bridges and and Anne. You know, yeah. it's that bitter and sweet. And yeah. Yeah, this movie, man. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you got me to watch it.
1: Oh, definitely. I have to say, I'm, yeah, I'm, like the, I had a
0: blast with this. Oh,
1: it's so it's so good. I did capture a couple of clips. I just want to play real quick a couple of go these for because they're too good not to. Um, <laughs> you know, Perry. I got a few different Perryisms. Um, that just they cracked me up. Uh, when he's introduced, he shows up. He's standing on top of their jeep. And he he fires off the the arrow with the tennis ball on it right in that guy's crotch, uh, and he's you know he's he's speaking and he's he's flourishing and he's doing all this stuff and then he comes back with Let the bum go, dipshit. <laughs> I love that so much.
0: And you know that was just Robin
1: Williams. Oh yeah, that
0: was pure like he just came up with that. Yeah, I guarantee you, almost forty percent of his dialogue is just him. Sounding off and
1: I love it. I'm curious. So my guess is that this is an ad-lib. However, I'll play it first and then we'll talk about
0: it. I have a hard-on for you the size of
1: Florida. (laughs) So that sounds like a perfect Robin Williams (laughs) ad-lib, but then if you think about the beginning of the movie when Jeff Bridges' girlfriend is drawing. She's drawing a picture of a guy laying back in like a Burt Reynolds pose, and floor, with but his body yep. is the United States, and Florida is his ding dong. And so I'm wondering. I read if, that,
0: and I was hoping you were going to pull that clip.
1: I, but it makes me wonder: was it a Robin Williams ad lib that they worked into the movie, or was it part of the script it's, that he did? It could go either way. Like you could see them. I
0: bet you. It, I bet you you're right. Only because I imagine when they shot Jeff Bridges just working strictly as kind of yuppie scum, you know, like shock jock. Mm-hmm. They probably had it with the same haircut and everything and things like that. So they probably shot the beginning and end at the same time. Yeah. Just because they had the location. So you're probably, they probably shot all the other stuff first. You're 100% right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you.
1: I, I like that. Uh I for some reason this, this description of him when he's when they wake up the next morning in uh in the boiler room, which if I wake up to Robin Williams staring back at me with that smile, that's that's not a comfortable way to wake up. Like that's gonna get a reaction out of me no matter how hungover I am. Um but when he's describing who he is and everything and he just says, I'm the janitor of God. I was like, hmm, okay. All right, I like that that's good um
0: well he 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 does tell that story of the fisher king yeah where the he is the fool yes you know like in that story he is the fool and i think that's where he the fool's kind of your lowest level yeah and he knows it in a weird way he knows he that's his role in the story and he's just he's just following his quest and i think it's such a that's a cool foreshadowing. That's really it, cool foreshadowing. It
1: is. Um, I love to capture laughs, especially the fake and forced ones. Uh, and so, just this quick one from Perry in the because it's it, again, it's such a Robin Williams moment where, and it's that kind of screwball comedy where it's like Perry, uh, Perry, and then Amanda Plummer's like Perry, Perry, no, 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 just Perry, and she's like, just oh, her. like Moses, and and his reaction it's just oh and that's that's staying on my soundboard of laughs now like it it goes up there with merrick from uh from um uh the ray liotta movie like just some of the best laughs uh no escape
0: oh what is it yes yes yes. like it's just
1: gonna go with that oh
0: man i i need to rewatch a no escape ah
1: yes you do um (laughs) a couple more perry ones oh this was uh i like this too this exchange can you keep a secret no. Good. Like <laughs> no. Good. good. So um
0: I just oh, I just love Jeff Bridges. He's so he's just so goddamn dry, but fun. He, and the he shirt is. he's wearing in the video store is mm-hmm. the same one he's wearing in Big Lebowski. Yeah, yep. <laughs> like, that's awesome. He just brings his own stuff to set, man.
1: Also, uh he did a great job acting drunk. And Yes. That is something that movies do not often get right. Most like far too often drunks in movies, especially if it's a major character more so in comedies than anything else, but it's never like what people really are like when they're drunk. And he felt like he was actually drunk. He,
0: and again, I think it goes to the theory of he's becoming a genre mm-hmm. because watch someone like Nicolas Cage leaving Las Vegas. Yep. He plays drunk perfectly because he's just so Nicholas Cagey that whole movie. Yeah, but at the same time, you can tell he's he's drawing it in because he's really trying to act. He's not just doing, you know, like the witch's King or whatever crap movie he's throwing out to pay his taxes. Um, and I think that's the same with Jeff Bridges. Is you're expecting weird, so when he acts a little off. It works perfectly for that, you know. Like, it, mm-hmm. he sounds like a drunkard because he kind of every once in a while just kind of bring it down a little bit. Yep. You know, he's like yep. having a fireside chat.
1: <laughs> yep, and, and then he just slows I think himself down. Become,
0: yeah, and it's it, and I think he just knows how to do that. Yeah, um, and he's done that most of his career. I mean, Christ, after uh, B- Lebowski, that was like all he was asked to play. Yeah, you know, and it kind of felt bad for him because he's way better than that, you know.
1: Um, the last Perry one was just, it, and oh. it's the scene with him and Amanda Plummer where she she talks, she's you know doing the whole thing of like, well, you're gonna want to come up for the night, and then we're gonna sit and talk. And I love that because when he walks up, and the first thing he says is like, "Where's," just, like we just met, and then had made love, and then broke up all in thirty seconds. It's a lot to to take in. <laughs> And he's trying to talk to her and she keeps talking over him. And I just love this. It works for me too,
0: but I think it's time you should shut up now.
1: <laughs> I think it's time you should shut up now.
0: <laughs> that got an audible laugh in my living room <laughs> from both myself and my girlfriend. And I saw it twice. She laughs so hard, She goes, she repeated it. And she just looked at me and said like, how many times have I said that to you? And I was like, exactly. But and- just, yeah, no, he. He's so pure in that moment. It, it that is. It's, it's so, I love
1: it. because he's not saying it to be mean. He's just like, you need to stop talking and let me say what I need to say. So it's the only way he can get through yeah. to her. It just oh, killed me. Um, oh, God oh let's it. see. I got a couple of uh, Jeff Bridges as well, because of course. Um, cool, man. Dulang uh, was, was one I had to get.
0: Doolang. <laughs> Dulang! Du-Lang!
1: I don't know what I'm gonna use it for, but I've got it captured and I have it forever. Um
0: I forget why did he scream do lang, do He uh
1: it was right after he said, um,
0: Go to the nearest liquor store, find it the Jack of Daniels, that ye may be shit faced. Do lang, do lang. Lang.
1: <laughs> So those that uh oh, that was another one of those great moments. Um let's see. Oh, this was oh, This was the heartbreaking moment for and what what really made me think about that relationship because up until this point i had kind of forgotten the relationship of jack and anne and it sort of felt like it was just going to kind of be fine and my memory like so much of this movie was uh just uh, like these little moments were out of my memory and this is one that's going to stick with me which is where she looks at him you love me I don't know. I don't know. Oh. Oh. She did not that deserve is, that.
0: That was like and that scene just comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like there was no reason to leave Anne. Anne is perfect for him. She's absolutely exactly what he needs in his life. It's does he not think he's good enough for her? Is he just a prick? And I'm going, he's just a prick. Cause God damn, that is, that is just so, that is the biggest punch in the face. I think anyone, like, how do you, you don't know how to break up with someone. My God.
1: No. Oh, and so that's, rough. I,
0: I watch, I watch that scene and I love that scene. And I don't like that scene at the same time, only because it's so out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's such a weird third act um, thing to throw in, but it somehow works because you know Anne will take him back because she's like, just work out your shit, you know, like yeah. she's broken, but she's gonna let him work it out, and if he comes back, great. if not, whatever, she she'll she'll move on because because Anne is awesome,
1: yeah, <laughs> and it's it's a true uh, someone who loves him in this yeah. situation, like a true expression of that, because she is even in that moment, she is willing to be, okay, fine. Go figure your stuff out. Like, I'm not going to sit and wait for you, but if you can get it figured out, I'll probably still be here. Yeah.
0: Um, and it's kind of like I said earlier about Amanda Plummer. She's that, you know, Florence Nightingale character taking care of this guy. She's only known for a day mm-hmm. and falling in love with him. This woman's been doing it for however long Robin Williams has been suffering. And he caused that disaster, you know, like Anne is a very similar character. And I think that's probably why her and um, Amanda Plummer got along so well is both the men in their lives are complete lunatics who have who just don't know how to deal with trauma. And but they're they're too Complete ends of the spectrum. There's so much going on here.
1: There really is. I mean,
0: you could dissect this movie. Like, you could write a, a dissertation on this on this film. Just the amount of broken people. I mean, even the Michael Jeter character being the way he is and just who he... You know, his flamboyancy, but he's afraid of everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, he wants to be out there, but he doesn't know if he can't. It, it's all just so well written so perfectly paced i mean like i said an hour a two hour 17 minute movie this thing felt an hour 45
1: yeah it really moves you get
0: so much out of it i really really like this movie was phenomenal i i had a blast with this
1: oh i'm so glad and
0: because you know what it was it's not one of those like i'm just glad i saw it no like I'm happy I saw this movie. It has so many levels to it. I'm probably going to get the the Criterion edition, throw it on my shelf, and watch it a couple more times because this movie works, and it works honestly. Like I said earlier, nowadays with all of the mass shootings we yep. have, and men- and the fact that back then when you talked about mental disorders and things, going to a therapist was for both. You know, oh, you're right. you're just a crazy person. Who goes with the Frasier normalized therapy in America. I mm-hmm. honestly believe that. And this movie just kind of just showed like, man, we were just rudderless. We had nowhere to turn to mentally. Yeah. It was just you ended up in a hospital or you dealt with it with drugs or alcohol. And it's 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 something that is really important. And and I am I think more people should watch this nowadays. I agree. Just for the, just the social mores that it, it brings to the table because it's sad that they're still relevant nowadays. You know, there, there's no reason that these things should still be so heavy and hard to deal with because we should have evolved, but we just – You know, we're humans. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got to say about that.
1: But it was definitely, (laughs) it was a movie that was, you know, 25 years ahead of its time in what it was tackling, uh, that other just stuff wasn't getting tackled like that. So, yeah, um, Oh. And, to,
0: and to set it in New York, where they talked about therapy, probably like, yeah, take a Xanax, she will be fine. Take a exactly. Prisa, be fine. exactly That was therapy in 91.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. No, I'm so glad that you got to see this. It's sort of like for me, you know, recently I watched Mulholland Drive for the first time. and oh, And that was a movie choice. that, you know, I had that same type of thing where it wasn't just, oh, I'm glad I finally saw that. It was. I am really glad I saw that and I want to watch it again and I want to really dive into it and 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 pick it apart and just like yeah. exist in that for a little bit and that so I know exactly that feeling that you're talking about and I'm really glad that uh that you had that here because again like I said one of my favorite filmmakers as a person Terry Gilliam for the most part he's just he's an old curmudgeon you know he he is that's yeah. that's who he is now but don't as, meet your
0: heroes right but
1: as a filmmaker the, the the art that he has put out there it almost always lands for me and uh and this is this is one of his i mean this is a great film to watch and it's just chock full wall to wall with amazing performances everybody in it is great and it's so worth seeing and i'm really glad that you saw it and i'm really glad that you enjoyed it so much yeah.
0: I was, I was glad that you called me back. <laughs> it's been a while. Oh, anytime. I've been, I, I, I had, I haven't podcasted at all. Like, you know, my summer just started, but all spring, basically, Mel and I kind of took time off from our show. Uh, made you watch a podcast just to kind of like get our lives in order. And we were like, you want to just take a break? She says, sure. So we're going to go back to it very, very soon. But Good,
1: good. I was when just you about called me ask. up, I was
0: like, dude, I, I haven't been in front of a mic in so long. <laughs>
1: Well, that's, I was going to ask you, you know, what, what's going on and where can people find stuff? So it made you watch us coming back.
0: Yeah, we're going to come back. We, uh, we, we have some ideas. We have a list of things we want to do. It's just finding the time to do it. has yeah. been really tricky because we are both starting new jobs and everything. So we kind of like just took a little time off, but you know, we're constantly on Twitter. You can find us like I'm uh, ad underscore mock and she's, spoopity boop s-p-o-o-p-i-t-y-b-o-o-p i'll let you sort that out all
1: right
0: (laughs) but we're pretty much everywhere it's made to watch a podcast it's easy to look up we have eh, we got 50 something episodes i think we're a little fledgling you know we we started this uh about a year ago and just kind of did it for work and then it became kind of like this fun thing we just did outside of work Nice. And then when we lost our jobs, we just kept it and <laughs> said, we're going to keep doing this for fun until someone wants to pay us for it. So until then
1: <laughs> oh, that sounds familiar,
0: <laughs> made you watch a podcast, <laughs> uh, right?
1: But definitely uh, I, I'm looking podcast. forward to that coming back. Cause I do, I have enjoyed every episode that I have listened to yeah. of made you watch.
0: I'm, I'm glad I, I love this show. This show is it's, it, uh, we feel like this like little brother to you guys <laughs> like you cuz like cuz you had, like, it's similar concepts but mm-hmm. ours just has this ridiculous age gap cuz i'm oh, yeah. 40s <clears throat> and mel is 27 so what i've seen and what she's seen when I've we watch each other's grass. movies <laughs> where does that keep coming
1: from oh that's uh that, <laughs> that's from the twitch stream <laughs>
0: that's hysterical but uh yeah no we just we just watch like such different things and we kind of just have fun and make a day of
1: it so. and and that's what's great Stop about by. you know <laughs> it, what i what i enjoy about doing this show is this com this, these conversations and getting to you know either take somebody off uh something off of somebody's list of shame or or just <laughs> it, like it opening someone up to something that's brand new. And that's what I like about, um, your show is that you've taken that and distilled it down to the two of you. And, and it's the the age gap creates an interesting thing because you're going to look at stuff differently from the way that Mel does and vice versa. And so what you grew up with is going to be very different from what she grew up with. And it's kind of great to just mix those two together, because sometimes it's going to work and sometimes it's not going to land and that's fun, but it's going to lead to good conversations. So,
0: And what, what really cracks me up about her is every once in a while, I'll throw something out there I think she's absolutely going to despise, <laughs> and she ends up loving it. And I'm like, I secretly love like Mac and Me. Mm. I secretly <laughs> love Mac and Me because that movie is gross and stupid and shouldn't exist, but it does. It was a big part of my childhood, and I showed it to her. And it was like watching me watch it when I was a child <laughs> with the amazement. And she's like, this is a thing they showed the kids. And I'm like, this is a thing they showed to my generation. Oh, yeah. And it was like the best. We had the best day ever. We were to McDonald's. <laughs> it was wonderful.
1: You oh, can that's find fantastic. it on our,
0: our feed. It's on there.
1: <laughs> Excellent. We'll definitely check oh, out. Man, May- Travis, this has been
0: a blast. Oh, man.
1: it's been too much fun. Well, you're welcome back anytime. Any, anytime. <laughs> So we'll oh, definitely have you back. I, I'm, gonna I'm be, not
0: doing anything. So.
1: And I'm going to be getting in touch with Mel here soon to get her back on, too, because uh, when, when I had the awesome. two of you on, that was great. And uh, so I wanted to I wanted to bring you both on as your own and then we'll bring you both back at some point, I'm sure, because it's way too much fun.
0: I look forward to whatever movie she chooses. <laughs> I'm very curious.
1: I, I am, too. So. <laughs> Uh, That'll be coming up soon. Um, (laughs) If you enjoy this show and you want to watch it live, um, you can do that Sunday nights, at 8 p.m. Eastern time, twitch.tv slash TVs, Travis. And you can be like squishy twitchy who just followed uh, recently. Um, And uh, so I do it live Sunday nights. And then it comes out as the podcast on Wednesdays, everywhere you get your podcasts. You can also go to tvstravis.com, find the feed there, load it into whatever podcatcher you want to use. Um, that site also has links to things like merchandise and, uh, the Patreon for this show. Um, you can do for as little as a dollar an episode, um, links to the discord and, um, patrons get special access to parts of the discord and also monthly movie catch up nights. Um, where we pick something from the backlog and watch it that, uh, maybe somebody hasn't seen before. Um, and, uh, and the website's also going to have links to the upcoming YouTube series that I'm going to start doing on franchises. I am um, watching all of uh, the Fast and the Furious franchise this summer because I've only ever seen, oh, before geez. now, the first movie. And so I'm going to dive in. Really? Yep. I'm diving into the pool and I'm going to watch them all. Me, so. I'm
0: throwing my hat in the ring on this one. <laughs> the third one is my favorite. I hear I that. I adore Tokyo Drift. Fight me on it. I love I, that movie.
1: I enjoy
0: it. It makes no sense, and you're going to have a great time.
1: <laughs> well, well, uh, you'll you'll get to see my thoughts on YouTube here soon because I'm starting to put those up uh, very very soon. I cannot wait. And then this show every week. Um, next week I've got Cyrenex coming back uh, because he has been. I've literally just heard him vibrating from the lower part of Michigan uh, to watch John Wick Chapter Four because we watched Chapter I've Three. Not seen- a few weeks, uh, a couple of months ago before the uh, chapter four hit theaters. And uh, ever since then, every couple of weeks, I get a message from, Hey, Hey, when are we going to do chapter four? When are we going to do cha-? So we're doing John wick chapter four next week, uh, which I can't oh, wait for. And we are inching ever closer to my favorite month of the year for this show, which is August because August is all Nick cage all the time. Cage Palooza 2023 is shaping up and we've got some fun stuff coming for that. So, keep an eye out on Twitter. Uh is where I'm probably most active as TV's Travis, but a- any social media or like I say tvstravis.com you can find the links to everything there. Come join the Discord uh as well and um that you will find out what's coming up for Cage Palooza as well, uh which I can't wait for. I know for certain Renfield is happening. And I haven't watched it yet because my guest for it, he already claimed it and he already watched it and I'm like great now I got to wait till August to watch the movie. So every time somebody brings up Renfield I'm just like la 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 no 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 I can't. I can't hear about that and like have to shut him down cuz I got to wait. So that'll be fun.
0: I hear good things.
1: I do too. I do too and I can't wait. I just I mean Nick Cage is a treasure and I'm all for it. Yeah. So that is what's coming up. Well Adam, thank you so much for being here thank this week. Thank
0: you Travis. This and has been awesome.
1: Oh, it has been great uh, check out Made You Watch a podcast they're coming back but you got 50 episodes to catch up on in the meantime 50 something so uh, that's always good something like that and and uh, join me next week with Cyrenex for John Wick Chapter 4 until then enjoy your movies and be excellent to each other there's been Wait You Haven't Seen